Good evening, Westover Hills. We are so glad that you decided to come tonight. I'm Pastor Tito. I'm the high school pastor here. Where are our high schoolers in the room? Awesome, awesome. We are so glad that you're here. And to all the high schoolers, for just a moment, I just wanted to let you know that you are amazing, that working with you every week is one of the greatest, greatest joys of my life. And it is such an honor and a privilege to see the way that you spur each other to good works, the way you love one another, and the way you're constantly living for Jesus. And I'll tell you this, um, working with teenagers is never boring. You are crazy, absolutely crazy. And I never stop laughing, and I'm so proud of you. Give it up for our high schoolers if we could. <laughs> to our young adults in the room, you are world changers. And just, just for a moment, I just wanted to let you know that your influence, your heart, your passion, your willingness to make pivotal decisions at key moments in your life is absolutely inspiring. And we're so grateful to get to work alongside you in student ministry and, and get to see the way God's going to change the world through you. Can we give it up for our young adults in the room? And for those seasoned adults in the room. That's right, you know who you are, looking like George Clooney out there. You guys are awesome. I just wanted to say thank you for leading us well and continuing to lead us well. In a world where we don't always know what marriage really looks like, you know, our, our lives, we tend to think that life is like a musical or, or, or marriage is, is like a Disney movie. You show us what it really means to stick together and fight through. And, and for others of you who, who have just lived this Christian walk and fought it out with grit and tenacity and faithfulness, thank you. Thank you for showing us what it means to live for Jesus beyond just our high school, beyond just our young adult years and into adulthood. And thank you for making space for young leaders like us. We are, we are so grateful for every one of you. Can we give it up for our seasoned adults in the room? And for our online audience, thank you so much for tuning in with us. And hi, mom and dad. We love you. So... Just wanted to ask a question tonight. I'm just curious, does anybody here have a younger brother or sister? By show of hands, you have a younger brother or sister? All right, all right, we have several in the room. Now, just curious, how many of y'all, oh, we're just going to get real honest because we're in church and that's what we do. How many of you would say at some point your little brother or sister was kind of annoying, right? Just, just a wee, okay, or if you're sitting next to them, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to start any kind of sibling rivalry. Well, let me tell you a little bit about my little brother. He's one of my favorite people in the whole world. His name is Michael. So uh, Michael and I, we, um, we're kind of like night and day. So my brother was always the cute one. He's got like the dimples. He's got like that dark, swarthy skin tone. You know what I'm talking about? I was always like the white Mexican and people were like, are you really one of us? Like, can you even speak Spanish? I'm like, <laughs> right? And, and that was just kind of us growing up. My brother uh, has always been really into art. I've been into music. My brother's always been really into like anime. For those of you who don't know what anime is, that's the Japanese cartoons. They have really big eyes. I don't know why the eyes are so big, but they do. I was always really into the Beatles, right? My brother was into cartoons and, and or, uh, he was into playing video games and into Pokemon. And I was always into playing guitar. Um, but one thing is growing up, 
like most little brothers and little sisters, we love to play fight. Anybody in this house, you're like, that was me. I was that play fighter, right? And so for us, we would play fight depending on whatever our favorite like show or cartoon was that, that we were watching. And so at, at one point, this will kind of date us and show kind of how old I am, is we used to watch Thundercats and I was Lionel, Lord of the Thundercats. Come on, somebody, right? <laughs> uh, later on, we became the Ghostbusters and I was always Peter Venkman. At, at one point, we were the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right? All right, all right. I was always Raphael because I thought he was so cool and so witty and he always had something to say. And my brother was always Michelangelo. I don't know if it's because like my brother wanted to be a slacker or if he loved pizza or what it was. But one of our, one of our favorites growing up is we were super into the Power Rangers. Right? We were... <laughs> Super into the, yes, yes, exactly. And so we were so into the Power Rangers. My brother was always the Red Ranger because he wanted to be Jason, the leader of the Power Rangers. Always wanted to be Billy because he was like the nerdy, smart one. And he's like, well, according to my calculations, there's like a 34% probability it's going to rain outside. And so I just, I loved it. And so what would happen is we would play fight depending on what character we were. And inevitably, every time, every time, one of us would end up crying. <laughs> and it was never me. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, Pastor Tito, were you buff back in the day? No, I was just as scrawny and weak as I am now. Like, I don't get it. And so my brother would start crying and my parents would call us in the room and say, okay, what happened? And here's what would happen every, every single time. My brother's bawling and he's crying. And I have my hand, my hands over my face. I'm like, and I can't stop laughing. And I can't stop smiling. And, and it's like my tell. Like, you can just tell I'm guilty. And, my, and, and here's what would happen. My parents would say, Tito, could you just show a little compassion? And I'm like, no, I can't show compassion. He's a sissy lala. <laughs> now, I would never say it about my brother today. Like, we're so close and I just love him to death. But, but this is kind of what it was like growing up. And just the other day, just yesterday, my wife and I, Melissa, we were driving back from Austin, and before we hit the road, we put Allie in the baby seat. Allie's our nine-month-old in a couple days. Aww. <laughs> and, and so she, she's about to turn nine months. We put her in the car seat, and then, and then here I was in the very back. I was changing Ava, our two-year-old, and it was... It was and here's what happened. Allie was just pitching a fit. She was crying and crying. And I never, ever seen Ava do this. Ava put her hands over her mouth. <laughs> and she started making fun of her. She's like, wah, wah. <laughs> and I was like, you reap what you sow, right? I mean, you reap what you sow. So today, we thought, we thought it appropriate to talk about compassion. With, with um, just in a couple days, you're going to have a bunch of little kids knocking on your door, begging for candy, and you have an opportunity to decide whether you're going to show compassion when that little kid shows up dressed like the devil, right? And you're like, the devil is a liar. Get off of my property, son, <laughs> right? 
And in just a couple more weeks, you're going to have another opportunity with, with, with some of your, your not-so-close family members, right? You're, go, you're going to have that, that uncle that you're, uh, you're going to have that aunt show up. You're going to have your outlaws and your in-laws all in the same room begging you for turkey, right? And, and so we just thought compassion was just a very fitting and appropriate topic for this season. And so right now, what we wanted to do was introduce you to someone that I feel like you, you'll understand once you see it. So, so if you would, let me introduce you to a young lady named Sherry. In the shadow of a mountain of garbage in the Philippines lives seven-year-old Sherry. She isn't in school. Instead, she scavenges through the soggy garbage pile looking for recyclables to sell. Or she watches her little sister or spends back-breaking hours at her mother's side washing other people's clothes by hand. On many mornings, Sherry is weak and hungry because I can't always feed her. This breaks my heart. Many poor families, like Sherry's, have no place to settle other than in places like this. Since moving here, Sherry has watched her friends get up in the morning, put on their uniforms, and head off to school. And at lunchtime, they have a meal. Sherry asks me if she can go to school, and I tell her, just wait, you'll be in school one day. This leaves her heartbroken. Where Sherry is heartbroken, her mother is at a loss for what to do next. You see, Sherry is representative of so many kids around the world. So many, in fact, that worldwide, there are more than 8 million children who die from poverty-related causes every year. 8 million. And, and if we were to, to break that down, why, what's going on here? It's due to malnutrition. It's due to unclean water. It's due to poor sanitation, not having enough medicine, and, and, and poverty, and high crime rates due to poverty. And if you were to break that down, that's roughly 21,917 kids a day. Friends, that's 913 children an hour. That's 15 kids a minute. And just think about that for a moment. In, in just the 30, 30 or so, 45 minutes that we've been here, that's over 456 kids. By the time this service is over, there'll be 1,369 children. And on top of that, many of these kids get so desperate to provide for their families that they're willing to be sold, some of them, into sex slavery and become prostitutes. 1.2 million children a year to help provide for their family. And while these numbers are so staggering and so intimidating, let me tell you this, we believe that there's hope. Friends, and, and we don't believe that hope is just providing an education, although certainly that's a part of it. We don't believe that hope is just providing clean water. We don't believe hope is just giving them something to eat. We believe that hope walked the earth 2,000 years ago in the first century, and that some people called him rabbi, 
Other people, they said he was just a good man. Other people said he was a fake and a phony. Some said he was a sorcerer and a liar. But we believe that he was God in the flesh. And his name is Jesus Christ. And we believe that he sees the needs going on in humanity. And he's responding. And in fact, we're so audacious that we believe that the local church is the hope of the world. Hear me when I say this. Here's what I mean. When Jesus left and he went back up to heaven, he left us a job to do and said, I will go with you and I'll fill you with my spirit. And he said, we're called to be his hands and his feet and to reach other people. It was God's game plan that we would be the ones that he sends in. And so if you would turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 27, here we're hearing from the half-brother of Jesus. And I just imagine what it would have been like growing up in the home with Jesus, right? Can you imagine? Hey, uh, Mary's like, hey, Jesus, James, kids, why don't y'all go take a bath? And, and James walks in there with his towel, and here's Jesus walking on the water, show off, like, all right? Or, or Mary's like, all right, kids, um, hey, James, we... Um, we ran out of bread. Would you mind running and go and get more bread? And he's like, yeah, mom, I'll do it. And she's like, it's okay. Hold on a second. Ah, right? And next thing you know, they're like thousands of loaves of bread on the table. And, you, and they're eating. They're like, is this pan dulce? <laughs> Thank you. Right? I mean, I just picture this. And here's what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said. Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Friends, notice this. The kind of religion that God accepts isn't selfish. It's not self-centered. It's not me-focused. And the truth is, this is the problem most people have with Christianity because they, they hear things like this, but they don't see things like this. They, they hear us say these things, but they don't see us do these things. And listen, if you're here in the room and you're not a believer and you're not a Christian, let me just apologize for our hypocrisy. So many opportunities that we've had to be like Jesus and we've declined. See, but this is why our hope is never in just one person. Our hope is in a perfect person, a man named Jesus and we believe that Jesus modeled a perfect life, and his desire is for every one of us to live like him. And in fact, Jesus modeled for us the way we should treat men, women, and children. And here's what we saw from Jesus, that when he, when he talked to men, he didn't just talk to the influential, he didn't just talk to the wealthy, he just didn't talk to the famous ones, that Jesus made time for lepers. Jesus made time for those that were ostracized and outcasts in society. That not only that, but Jesus, in, in, a, in a time period when women, by some, were treated like dogs, in a time when some people believe women didn't even have souls, Jesus was willing to look a woman directly in the eyes and have a conversation with her in public because Jesus elevated the status of women. In the time when children were largely ignored, Jesus said, let the children come unto me, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Friends, Jesus gives us the example, and Jesus gives the example what true compassion is, and we believe that compassion is co-suffering with someone else. Co-suffering. It means being willing to feel what they feel, 
When we say love your neighbor as yourself, it means being open to going through what they're going through. And not just coming up to them and saying, it's okay, brother, Jesus loves you, everything's all right. And, and some of you know exactly what this is like because you have a friend that co-suffered with you. Young adults, there's some of you in this room that went through a hard, hard breakup. That you were so enamored with this person and you were so, sure, so certain that this was going to be forever. That you were picking out bathroom towels for your bathroom. You were trying to find apartments to move in together. And then suddenly and abruptly it was finished and it was done. But you had that one friend that regardless of what time you call, they never hit ignore. That regardless what time they, that you knocked on their door, they answered it. Others of you went even further. Some of you began building your lives together, but as time wore on, you grew further and further apart. The minor disagreements morphed into full-blown arguments, and here you are years after you said, I do, wishing things had turned out differently and wishing you still shared a life together. And many of you here are wishing that you had that friend who would co-suffer with you. Friends, let me remind you, this is why we do church. When we say we are better together, it's not a tagline. When we say we want you to be a part of a life group, it's because we want you to have people around you that are willing to co-suffer with you. And in fact, we believe that this is what the Lord requires. Listen to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It says, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Do what's right. That's when you see someone getting picked on at school or at work, you stand up for them, regardless of how weird or awkward they are. Loving mercy, that means showing kindness and compassion to all people. Imagine with me just for a moment how differently the 60s would have been if the Christian community would have had real compassion during the civil rights movement and actually viewed everybody as human beings. Imagine the, how the reputation of the church would be drastically different today. Walking humbly, that means living for God's glory and not your own fame. That means you're not all about your platform or, or, or getting more likes on Twitter or getting more followers on Instagram, that you're about making him famous. And you see, God is commanding us to obey him in a such a way that it includes all these things because compassion doesn't just see the need, compassion feels the need. Compassion doesn't just see the need, compassion touches the need. And we believe Jesus was the most compassionate person to ever walk the earth. And as we study his life, there is more to compassion, we understand, than just feeling bad for someone. And to illustrate this point, my wife and I, Melissa, we recently started watching this show on ABC called The Good Doctor. So I, I don't know if we have any good doctor fans out there, but, but it's, it's this, yeah, this medical show about this doctor named Dr. Sean Murphy. And Dr. Sean Murphy is a savant, which means he's super smart. He's got a photographic memory. Like he, he, he's studying to be a surgeon. And, and when you say liver, he, he pictures his science textbook and can read verbatim uh, about it. And, and he has great spatial recognition, all these things. But not only is he a savant, he also has been diagnosed with autism. And for those of you maybe not so familiar with autism, autism is one of those diagnoses that can result in 
overstimulation. So when he sees too many bright lights or things get too loud, he kind of clams up and, and he can't take, quite take it. Or, or also, many people with autism have issues understanding social cues. So sarcasm, he really doesn't get it. You may look at him and say, hey, great job, genius, being sarcastic. He's like, well, thank you. And, and, and it just kind of goes over his head. And so here's an example of a young man, a young doctor, who didn't just see the need, but decides to go further and touch the need. It's after one. I ran tests. The results were ambiguous. I think Martine has intestinal malrotation and that a volvulus has occurred. Ambiguous test told you this. It's a genetic condition. The symptoms are very similar to stress. Call us in the morning. Okay, she may not be alive in the morning. I am not waking my daughter up in the middle of a school night because of some freak. And you don't need to call me in the morning because I'll be calling your boss in the morning. Were you being sarcastic? How hard is it to get rid of someone? I told you. You're right, I'm weird. Part of my weirdness is that I perseverate. That means I keep thinking about things. So I will keep knocking on your door until I know Martine is okay. Martine. 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 Martine, you need to wake up. <gasps> oh, honey. Martine? She vomited. I, I can't wake her. I'll call 911. No, there's no time. Do you have a car? Yeah. You see, he didn't just see the need. He felt the need. What was it that drove him in the middle of the night to go across town and knock, 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 knock on, on these people's door, knowing it wouldn't be well-received? Friends, it's compassion. And throughout scripture, Jesus models for us what compassion looks like. In Matthew chapter 20, 29, we pick up on the story of these two blind men. And these two blind men are, are on the side of the road and they're there and they're begging. And they hear Jesus and a big procession coming by. And they're like, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And here's what happens. The crowd, they they're like, shh, be quiet. Be qu Jesus doesn't have time for you. You're, you're not important enough. And in fact, in the first century, many people believe that if you are sick, it's because of your sin. It's because you've done something wrong, or it's because your parents had sin. So here they are. They're like, listen, God doesn't have time for you. You're the one who upset God with your sin. And they, they, just, they just shout all the louder, right? I think they might have been teenagers, right? They just shouted louder. They're like, forget that, right? And then it's, here's what scripture says, that Jesus made his way, and I just imagine Jesus making his way past all these people, and here's what he said, what do you want me to do for you? They said, Lord, we want to see. Verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them, and he touched their eyes. Jesus co-suffered with them. He understood their plight. He understood what they were going through, and he touched their eyes, immediately they received their sight, and I love this part, and they followed him. They followed him. Friends, I truly believe that if we should follow God in obedience, 
that if we should decide to go all the way and be a people of compassion, and then what will happen is others will begin to serve God out of gratitude for how good he is, out of gratitude for what he has done. And we, like Jesus, are meant to help meet the needs of others and reach others. How do we do this? By praying. Friends, so often someone will share with you something going on, and let me encourage you to be bold and brave enough to stop right there and pray for them. I know you're in front of the water cooler. I know you're in the middle of taking your SAT, and it's super awkward, but just imagine this for a moment. Maybe not the SAT part, okay, right. But, but just imagine for a moment that your pray, prayer is the difference between their marriage staying together or splitting up because you're inviting the God of the universe into the situation. What if your prayer is the difference between them getting healed of cancer or dying from cancer? Sometimes we don't believe the gospel that we preach. Friends, other ways we can do this is by generously giving our time, talent, and resources. We say it like this at Westover Hills. Save people, serve people. And so many of you have done this because you know what it's like to live life alone that you've decided, you know what, I'm gonna lead a life group. I'm not gonna let anybody else live life alone. Just a couple weeks ago, we had about 70 teenagers ask their parents for $65 so that they could come with us to go help a small church that had closed its doors. So they're picking weeds, they're pulling weeds, they're organizing stuff, they're cleaning stuff. Hey, what do you need that $65 for? Oh, I want to go serve the community. Friends, that's compassion. That's compassion. Some of you in this room, you saved up an extra money so you could buy your friend a ticket to women's conference. Some of you, some of you bribed one of your best work buddies to come with you to the men's conference. Many of you drive past Rudy's and Bill Miller's every single Wednesday night so you can eat at the cafe with a cause so that you can go help out some orphans around the world. Friends, this is compassion. And coming up in just a few weeks, we are giving to one day to feed the world. And many of you are going to help change a kid's trajectory forever. And here's what we notice, that Jesus cared about the blind men even though the crowd didn't. May it be that we care about those around us even when the world doesn't. Because defending the cause of those who are poor and in need is ultimately what it means to know him. Jeremiah twenty two sixteen. In other words, if you want to grow, if you really want to know Jesus, you need to serve. If you want to grow, then serve. They're tied together. We cannot claim to know God if we're living self-centered lives. Listen to this quote from Brendan Manning. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and deny him by their lifestyle. Friends, we've seen this. We felt this. And Jesus cares so deeply for the needs of others. Listen to what he says in Matthew 25, 37. He said, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. 
In other words, the way you treat the poor, the way you treat those who can't pay you back, the way you treat those who will never be able to afford what you lent them is the way you're treating God himself. And one day, we will all stand before him with the opportunity to make a difference. Just a few moments ago, we spoke about a little girl named Sherry. And I'd like to pick up with that story and tell you where she is right now. But Sherry won't be one of them. participation in one day to feed the world makes this possible. Today, proper nutrition, clean water, hygiene education, and the message of Jesus' love are transforming Sherry's life. Sherry is in school now, too. Now that my children have food to eat, I believe they will grow up, finish school, and get jobs far, far away from life here in the dump. For Sherry and her mom, life is different today than it once was. And one seemingly small thing made that difference. Your kindness and giving through one day to feed the world. Friends, look what happens when we don't just see the need, but we touch the need. Look what God can do through us. Friends, this is just the beginning. And if you would with me, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes all around this room. As our prayer team comes forward, if you're here tonight, And you'd say, you know what, Pastor Tito, I hear what you're saying about Jesus. He sounds amazing. He sounds incredible. He sounds like someone I'd give my life to. But I've never done that before. I've I've never trusted Jesus with my life. But I want to. And I'm ready to make that decision. If he truly is as compassionate, as good As you say he is, then I want him in my life. If that's you, if you would just raise your hand all around this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I see those hands. I see that hand in the back. You can put them down. And with every head bowed and eyes still closed, here's the second call tonight. If you're in this room, Lord, and you would just say, you know what? I don't feel like I love the way I should. 
I just don't feel like I have a heart of compassion the way you're talking about. I hear what you're saying that Jesus modeled it for us and he saw people and he met their needs, but I don't have that, Pastor Tito, but I want that. I want to see need and be moved to respond. I want to see what's going on and be moved to do something about it. If that's you in this place, if you would be so brave to raise your hand and say, I want God to download a heart of compassion into my soul. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And here's what we'd like to do right now. If you raise your hand for either one of those, we'd invite you to stand right where you are and make your way down to the front. I know it's a bold move, I know it's a brave move, but if you would stand right now and start making your way to these altars and let one of these church body pray for you. Let one of these family members pray for you and let you know that God still has a plan for your life, that God still has a purpose for your life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, that you would do it here. God, that you would do it here. Come on, y'all. If, if we could, let's reach our hands this way and let's pray for these up at these altars, Lord, that you would do it. God, those needing salvation, that you would rescue them, that you would save their souls, God, that they would have a making new moment tonight, that they would leave here forever changed because they encountered the God of the universe. And Lord, those needing compassion, God, that you would download a heart of compassion into them. Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Jesus in this place. Thank you, God, that you are at work in our midst. We thank you, Holy Spirit.
Come on, do you believe that tonight, church? Let's sing it out. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our with you we'll rise with you come on let's declare by your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat the resurrected King is resurrecting me in your name I come alive to declare your victory the resurrected King is resurrected by your spirit we will rise resurrected king in your name i come alive to declare
Amen. 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 God is so good. I don't know about you, but I'm ready not to just see the need, but go out and go out and touch the need. Amen. Amen. Listen, and let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. If you're looking for a couple great ways to get involved, we have life groups. We have an opportunity for you to, to reach somebody that's going through some of the same stuff that you're probably going through, that they need to hear a voice like yours. And if you're, you're not already serving somewhere, let me, let me let you know that we've got a kids ministry, a middle school and a high school ministry that needs somebody like you. That we have teenagers and little kids that are looking for someone to show up consistently and be faithful in their lives. Mom, let me pray for you for a moment. Lord, we love you. God, you are so good. God, I thank you for every person in this room and every person that's watching right now on the live stream. God, what a privilege to know you. A God who is so full of compassion that you didn't want something from us, you wanted something for us. That you didn't come to take from us, but you came to give us life and life more abundantly. To give us making new and to give us making great. God, what an honor and what a privilege it is to call you Father. Lord, I pray you bless and lead every person here. Everybody watching at home. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and use them to reach the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give it up for Jesus tonight. We love you, and you are officially dismissed.